listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. You're listening to the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thank you for joining me on the show. Let me get right to the point. Your role as professional services rainmaker is to explain how you can provide a return on an investment that you will get from your prospective clients. You've got to communicate that message to them. If you can, you will get more business. That is what we're talking about today. And ladies and gentlemen, that is called the value sale. And our topic today is the value sale with Ian Campbell, who is the author of the book, The Value Sale. You will find that there is a fast-moving conversation in what you're going to hear with deep insights and deep wisdom. Don't let the simplicity of these concepts that Ian and I discuss today escape you. There are pearls of wisdom in this conversation, and I'd even recommend going back and listening to it at least one more time. Definitely, you want to get the book that Ian wrote. It's a fantastic, easy, quick read that I think will benefit you. It benefited me. And I was really surprised at how much I took out of this book just in one reading. We put the book uh, the book ordering information on the show notes, as well as Ian's links where you can connect with him directly. What's interesting is that he comes from professional services, client development, from a background in technology, looking at research and data and things like that. As always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions suite of products, Firmscape and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Also, if you're in the recruiting industry, check out the Placement Club, a large community of experienced recruiters who want to grow. We already have a thousand members. It's free to join, and one good idea could change your life forever. Visit theplacementclub.com. And now, here's my conversation with Ian Campbell. I hope you get some great insights from our show today. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. We've got a special guest today with some great insights into sales. In fact, he's the author of the book, The Value Sale. We've got Ian Campbell with us today. Ian, thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Hey, Scott, thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, and I've read your book. I got some great ideas out of this. And I'm an old timer in sales. And the first question I have for you is you talk about value and we don't want to save it for the end. By the way, Mr. Prospect, here's our value. You talk about keeping that value throughout the sales funnel. What do you mean by that exactly? And, and why did you come to that idea to really kind of start your book with, with that particular perspective of value? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, we see when we work with salespeople, a lot of folks look at the sales funnel and say, hey, you know, value or ROI is really a point in the sales funnel. I'll go through all the stages I'll get to just before the close and I'll build a business case. And that's usually where it breaks down. You've been talking about all the benefits of your product. You've been you've been going through all the different things you can do for them. And then you get to the bottom and say, well, Honestly, a lot of salespeople are trying to not do the ROI equation. So they're, they're trying to avoid value. But they get to the bottom and say, well, okay, now we have to do some value thing. Maybe I'll bring in an expert for my company to do it. <laughs> and you, you've sort of created a disconnected sale. You're bringing somebody, somebody in to help you. But also, you, you've been talking about it since the beginning. So really rethink the way you think about the sales funnel. And it's going to make it a lot more effective for you. And what we tell folks to do is think about the sales funnel as having two sides. There's the side to the sales funnel that you know, and for every company, it's a little bit different. You know, you in general, you bring in a lead, you qualify that lead, you align your proposition, and then you close the deal. And there might be four stages or eight stages, whatever funnel is right for you. You already know what those stages are. 
But think about the funnels having the other having another side. It has two sides. The other side is building the value message. So like anything, just go through both sides. The value message has three steps. At the top of the funnel, when you bring a lead in, start talking about value. Here are all the different ways we deliver value for the customer. Right. So, mm-hmm. And it really doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're selling technology, here are all the different ways we've done something for a customer. Here That's the, the first step, right? Uh, And I'm going to come back to this, but what are the the other two steps? I'm going to come back to this first step here. So, and it doesn't matter what you're selling. You'd be selling a car line to somebody or a farmer, or you could sell a technology. At step two, you start to show how other people have achieved value from your product, from your solution. So now you say, okay, you're a pharmaceutical company. Well, here are other pharmaceutical companies that have achieved value by using my accounting system, technology, whatever it is, right? Step three is how will they achieve value? So think of it as three stages. I go through all the lead qualification, and while I'm talking to them, I'm talking about all the ways I deliver value. Yeah. I'm starting to align my proposition. I'm bringing in other tangible examples of folks that have achieved value just like that. I'm trying to figure out what the proposal is for them. Now I'm building the business case. But why do you want to do that? When you get to the business case, you've already built the message around value. They already right. know what the value points are. So you're not just bringing this ROI equation at the end saying, okay, I'm going to build a business case. Let me do this. That's a disconnection. I've done a sale. I've got to the bottom and said, well, here's the, the contract and here's a business case. I had somebody build for us. It's not going to work. So think about the funnel as having those two sides. And as long as you go through both sides, you'll be fine when you get to the bottom when you say, here's the, here's the contract. You already know what the value proposition is. The customer already knows what they're likely to get. Already sort of understands why they should be doing it. That's great. I think that's a different perspective. I've never heard it phrased just like that. Let me kind of ask you, let me go back to the top of the funnel. You said, start talking about value. Let's say we've got a rainmaker that's having a meeting with a prospective client and there is a specific problem that they have. And this rainmaker works for a company that has a solution or maybe is the solution in terms of the service they provide. And they want to really get to that point where they start talking about value. How do you think that rainmaker could segue into that part of the conversation? Sure. So, uh, you know, the, the first part of the conversation often is tell me your pain point. And I, I sort of cringe when you do that. Okay. Why, why, why is that? Because that's pretty normal, well, right? Yeah. It's sort of a, it's a, a pet peeve of mine. I sort of hate pain, pain point because it, it, everyone says that, but you're sort of relying on the fact that the customer knows what the problem is because they recognize pain and they may not. They may be saying, I've got a CRM system that works fine. Why are you talking to me? Well, you don't understand we do all this better integration or we have AI capabilities or so what you're doing is selling them something they probably have some solution for. Right. So they don't necessarily perceive pain as much as they see it as it's old and I should look at what's new, which is not necessarily pain. What you should be saying is folks that have deployed, so we're at the top of the funnel. Folks that have deployed our product to receive benefits in a number of different ways. Those include Let's use CRM systems. Those include an increase in sales productivity, an increase in manager productivity, a reduction in time to close, an increase in employee satisfaction, increase in speed of reporting. So I'm just making this up off the top of my head. There's the five benefits, right? Now, I've listed a bunch of things to you. Those are going to start to resonate with the customer and say, all right, I need to increase the productivity. Of course, here are all these other great benefits. You've talked about all these benefits. There's a is a strategy for this. The reason why I talked about all of them is to say, here are all the different things I can do. Now the customer says, well, we're a pharmaceutical company and we want to deploy a CRM system. Okay. Here are two other CRM systems. 
uh, that were deployed by other pharmaceutical companies. And here's the value that they got. And here are the kind of benefits they had, mostly around productivity gains and on uh, better accuracy in contract negotiation because you could standardize the contract. Of course, there are a lot of other benefits, but those are the two big ones. And that gets to another point we can talk about. Yeah. So now they said, okay, I know there are five benefits. I've keyed into all five of them. I like all five. There are two that are really going to drive this deal. Okay. And now I get to the to the business case and I'm able to say, if we just focus on the one or two benefits, increased productivity. Now they've already told you, I'd like to increase the productivity of my sales rep. So you didn't say, what's your pain point? You right. showed them all the possible things you could do. You identified what the pain points were for other folks. And you said, does this seem good to you? Well, boy, it does, right? So now you're not sort of out of the blue saying, what's your pain point? They'll I don't know. I don't have any natural answer, <laughs> the natural answer is I don't have any pain points. Nothing hurts. Well, of course not. But here's some of the things that other people have done that have got benefit out of it. So now when I get to that business case, what I'm doing is I'm narrowing down to just the benefits that matter to them. So that gets to the point. You get to remember, the good point is there are only two things, one or two things that drive a deal. Right. And there are two or three things that support it. So when you build a business case, the goal here is I just want to sell something. I don't want to build a perfect business case. If I focus on the one or two things that are likely to drive the deal, drive the business case forward, then I'm going to win. So now I've narrowed this down to and it, what, a, what a great answer. I can say, if we just increase the productivity for your sales reps by 3%, it justifies you buying my product. Yeah. Of course, I've talked about 15 other ways we help people. I've shown you other companies that have achieved benefits. But just for you, of this one or two benefits, we can justify you going forward with the project. And ultimately, that's a signed contract, and that's what you want to do. Keep in mind, business case is not something you sell. You don't frame it. You don't put it on the wall. Nobody digs it up a thousand years from now and puts it into a museum. Sell the product and move on. Use the business case and use the value proposition as a way to push forward. That's all you're trying to do. So it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be credible. Those are good points. And I like how you kind of set that up where I can take that as a framework in my conversation with prospects. Something I've said to people where when I recruit, I'm happy. I'm not looking. They don't think they have any problems. And I've actually said that sometimes, you know, it's kind of like saying if Thomas Edison surveyed his prospects, what did they want? They would have said brighter candles. They just don't know what else is out there. But it depends on us to really ask them questions to open their mind up to see what is that potential opportunity or that potential solution for them. So, so but let me let me kind of take it in a different direction here. And I'm looking, I think this is chapter three of your book. You, you talk about technique number one, what the customer wants. And I love this line where you said, while there may be more than five benefits, there are never more than five that influence the decision and usually one or two that make the decision. Uh, what does this mean for you as a sales rep? It means you can focus on those two main benefits. So I thought that was profound. That was a key nugget that I got out of that where I'm thinking about all these things, but really there's just one or two things that we need to get to. So let me ask you this. When people have shifted to this concept of really the value sale, are there any pitfalls that you've seen that most people need to kind of avoid to really get to this mindset of selling this way? So there's a natural tendency to try to make the perfect business case or to try to put as many benefits as you can on and think about that one or two things that drive the deal. If you focused all your energy on getting references that showed an increase in productivity, showing case studies from other folks that showed an increase in productivity from your product, doing a demo where it shows how your employees will get productivity, maybe doing a survey. If you focus on that one thing, increased productivity, and you really show to the customer how that would be at least 3%, at least 5%, likely more, 
you're going to be able to put all your energy around the thing that will most likely move the deal forward. If you try to spread it among 10 or 12 different items and say, look at all these great things, you know, we're going to have happier sales reps and that will reduce turnover. And because of that, you'll be able to reduce your hiring costs. Right. Well, you've gone off on a tangent that may or may not be true. It's what we call fourth order benefit. It's not really valuable, but you've stuck this in your business case. Mm-hmm. And think about the decision makers today. The decision makers today are not yes people. They're no people. They're looking for a reason to throw out the business case, not a reason to accept it. So you may have eight great items and two that are that are dubious in some way, and you've killed your deal or it's stalled or they want more information. Don't do that. Focus on just the things that matter. So the big mistake is there's a tendency to add more. And the thing is, cut back. Less is a lot more when it comes to a business case. That is the number one thing you can do. The other thing is, you know, we talk about breadth and repeatability in the uh, book. And what it means right. is the more people I touch, the more often I touch them, the greater the potential ROI. And it's an important point to keep in mind as a sales rep. The same product sold to a different customer will generate a different ROI based on breadth and repeatability. And conceptually, you can, you can you realize it. If I'm selling a CRM system to a company with a thousand sales reps, they're going to get a lot more value out of that than if I sell the same CRM system to a company with one sales rep. Because right. one sales rep don't touch as many people. And think about it. And so that's your same product to the same person. And think about the type of product you have. If I sell a CRM system, that's used every day by every sales rep. Great. Likely high ROI potential. If I'm selling a onboarding system to help the HR department streamline their onboarding of new hires, well, that's done once every time I hire a person. So the repeatability is very low. So if you have an idea of breath and repeatability when you walk in, you can sort of identify ahead of time, am I going to have a problem with this deal? And which of those two levers, can I can I touch more people or can I get more, them to use it more often? Can I potentially increase to increase my potential ROI? I think that's think great. Yeah, yeah, that's think a good strategy. Right up. Yeah, that's really a really good way to do it. Yeah. Absolutely right. So, so let me ask you this question. And let's say there, have you worked with an organization that has made significant changes to how their sales reps sell based on your concepts. What were the problems they had before? What did they actually do to make those changes? And what was the result? Can you tell us a story about that, Ian? Yeah, I mean, we've worked with a lot of companies over the years and sort of adjusting the way people think about value. And, you know, a lot of folks say that they sell on value, they talk about value. But when you look at those feature benefits uh, uh, lists, it's usually features, features. It's not always an actual benefit that's measurable. There are only three things I can do for the customer. Right? I can increase the productivity for them. I can reduce their costs or I can increase their profit. Uh-huh. And those are, you think you do a lot and you do, but ultimately all the benefits you do drive to those three big, big levers. Right. That's all I can really do for a customer. Once you see that as a sales rep, it becomes a lot cleaner to help selling your company. So as we work with companies and say, especially with sales teams and say, well, think about this concept. What do you really do? How do you really help customers? Now, how do we put some weight behind that so the customer can, can, can understand it? What we see is very much a reduction in the time to close a deal because they're able to get to the point, here are three things that you could do. But we work with big companies, that's what we say. I think we have to continue to work with them so they don't go back to that features list. And often right. we'll see people say, if I don't know what to say, I'm going to talk about a lot of features. We don't want to do that. <laughs> right. We want to talk about benefits. So the more we work, we're able to reduce the time to close a deal, make it easier to build a business case, 
might make the decision-making process a mm-hmm. lot quicker and make it easier for the sales rep because they're focusing on the things that really matter. So what we see is sales reps themselves become more productive by not taking a broad-based approach, but very much more focused approach to how they talk to, to uh, prospects. So we've worked with a lot of technology companies over the years, and every time we do that, we get the same feedback. It's made life a lot easier. It's made yeah. it a lot simpler for us to convey messages. And a lot of times, it's stuff you already know. You already know this. You just haven't put it in that right order. You're saying it in a slightly different way, like the pain point. I could say, what's the pain point? Or I could say, a year from now, where would you like to be? How can we get you there? If it were a perfect world, how's my product going to get you there? What are those things you'd like to move? They might not know what pain they, they have, but they may know what the path is going forward. So even just different ways you say something can change the outcome. And so, Ian, have you seen people all of a sudden the light bulb goes on, they realize this is the change I need to make? Is that, is that something that you've seen when you worked with people? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when we do classes or when we when I do speeches, uh, you you get that. You see that halfway through where all of a sudden they realize, one, ROI isn't scary. It's a very easy metric. And when I tell folks, you already know it. If you've walked into a bank and put money in a bank, you already understand what ROI is. The calculation is not that complicated. All you need to do is organize your thoughts around the benefits. You already know what the costs are. You know what you're charging them. So now this whole thing becomes very simple. You shouldn't be afraid of it. It's very easy to build a business case. And once you see how easy it actually is, once you see you already know how to do it, you maybe just have to thinking about it that way. I'm taught. I see that all the time where you see sort of the light go on. And then, you know, I challenge salespeople. I said, if you, you think back to the last deal you lost, if you had led with value instead of features or instead of whatever you did, could you have closed that deal? Might that have gone better for you? And I didn't even want an answer. And I said, I don't want an answer. I want you to think about it and say, boy, could that have helped you? And almost always I get people after saying, yep, you're right. If I had just led with the two benefits that I thought were going to drive the deal, I would have been much better off than if I put a lot of things on. Or I shouldn't have brought in these outside consultants to do something that I could have simply done over lunch with the customer myself. Right. So let me ask you this. Let me kind of go back to where you talked about the business case. It's easier to make a business case. What advice would you give to someone that needs to make a change to how they think about their offering and how they sell it? Where should they start? Like in terms of, and and first, how would you define the business case? And you said it's easy to build that. How would you recommend they go about building that business case? So actually, one of the one of the things I, I suggest to the folks that we work with is you've probably already got um, a customer. So you've right. got a reference customer. You've, every salesperson has one or two customers that like them, that are references that they can sort of sure, pull out sure. their back part for the way. Next time you go to lunch with them, next time you talk to them, ask them, what are the two big things I did for you? What are the two big things my solution did for you? But start to start to drill down a little bit and say, by how much did we increase productivity? How did we reduce your cost? So try to get them to a number. Oh, you reduced our cost. Really, how did we do that? Well, we no longer had to spend money on this, and it reduced our cost by 300000 a year, whatever that number is. Mm. But now you're using your own customers as they're looking back on their deployment to say, what did I actually, not what I said I did, I would do, but what did they actually receive from my solution? Now, you've probably got the top four or five things right there. You don't even have to work for it. Your customers are going to tell you what those benefits are, and you can be able to put that into a framework. We increase productivity. Okay, there's an easy calculation. How many employees did you have? What's their fully loaded cost? By what percentage do you increase productivity? Simple math problem. Number of employees times their fully loaded cost times 
the percentage increase gives me a rough idea of the numerical number right. of dollar value in savings. So now I can say, okay, just I've got my cheat sheet of the five things that I've done for my customers and some quick calculations of how to do that. Cost before, cost after, number of employees, whatever, management time. The, the, the calculations are not that, that difficult, but now I've got that cheat sheet. So now when I walk into the next customer, I can just pull that out and go, which of those benefits are going to apply to you? I yeah. know how to calculate them. And now I can start talking through with sales. This is an, an AI program. So in sales, I'm going to look at you over lunch and say, gee, how many salespeople do you have? Now, another good trick is when I'm increasing productivity, don't say, how much more productive do you think my employees will be, how much your employees will be with this product? That's that's going to get you a bad answer. The answer to that is, I don't know. You could say, looking at the solution, do you think your employees will be 5% more productive? Could it be 10? Now, remember, it's a bell curve. Some people will be 10, some people will be 5. You don't care what the number is. You just care that they believe the number they gave you. Right. So use that number and close the deal. Now, 5% closes the deal. You don't need 15. As you go further out, the number becomes less believable. So if they say, oh, it's at least 5, let's use 5. How many employees do you have? Let's see how much that could actually mean to you in savings through increased productivity. Now you frame the whole benefit during a simple conversation over lunch. Now they're thinking the same way. And here's an important point. You're selling to someone who's selling to someone else. So when that person's on the elevator and the CFO says, hey, I hear we're buying a new CRM system. Why are we doing that? The answer better not be because we like them. It better be because we think we can increase productivity and save almost $3 million a year. Yeah, that's an answer they'll sell. And that's so, a good point. You mentioned that in the book, don't you? About you've got to sell to someone who's selling to somebody else internally, right? Right. And the best way to do that is a number. It's not a, we like them because they're top of some quadrant. Right. We like them because it's going to save us money. That's what's going to get you a deal. So yeah. it, 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 you know that because if you've had a deal that you thought you won and it stalled somewhere in a committee, that your prop was a value proposition. Because That's a good point. That's a good point. They didn't see the value of doing it. If you can reduce the cost for somebody, they'll buy today, no matter how, no matter what their budgets look like. So if you can increase productivity, they'll buy today, no matter what their budgets look like. So if we looked at potential sales or potential deals that didn't close, we could probably pick them apart, reverse engineer it, and do an autopsy on that and see how we can take this idea, what would have happened if we did this, and use the value sale concept in our sales process. We can probably see where we need to improve, right? That That's exactly it. Think back to the last one or two deals you had that didn't go forward for some reason. There was probably something in the value messaging that made that stall. Did your prospect truly understand how much money you'll save them, how much increased productivity, what the value was for the organization so they can turn around and pitch it in 10 words or less? That's what you need to get to. And that's a it's going to reduce costs. I'll give you another uh, quick tip. We all talk about ROI. We've been talking about benefits and ROI. But a quick sales tip is, it's sometimes better to talk about payback period, especially in this kind of environment. And I talk about it in the book, but ROI gets all the publicity. Everybody likes ROI. But if I told you the ROI from this solution is 300%, Mm -hmm. intellectually, no, that's okay. But if I told you it will cover its costs in four months, you feel good. You, yeah. you internal. That's specific. That's very specific. Well, yeah. you also know it because you're now you're being risk averse. The person making a decision on you doesn't want to have their neck out for so long. So if they know that after four months, this pro even if the project goes wrong in five months, it's covered its costs, they feel good. If they say 300% ROI, I don't, I don't really know what that is. <laughs> so a good trick is think about ROI, but often you want to lead with a very simple message that says, looking at the data, 
It looks like this project will cover its cost in four months with an average ROI of 300% a year. That's great. So That's four, very specific. Yeah. It's good yeah, math. It's the four months they remember. The four right. months is the one that pushes the deal Interesting. through. So Ian, let me ask you this. As we bring this to a close, you've given us some good ideas here. If you could kind of give us three action steps that people can take who are listening to this to really implement your ideas, step one, two, and three, what would those three action steps be? All right. N- number one, think about that sales funnel. Make sure you're building the big the broad picture, the middle step, how have other achieved value and the final step. Don't just go to the value message, but let's tee up that value message from the beginning. That's yes. without question the most important thing that you can do. The second most important thing is too much if you go over five. Two big things drive it. Three things are supportive. That's it. If you're talking about more than five benefits, no matter how many benefits they're actually getting, it'll never be more than five that'll drive the deal. Yeah. And then focus, focus, focus. Get those reference customers to talk about those one or two big benefits. And you should have those three in your back pocket or those five in your back pocket by talking to your current references, see how they got value. And then you've already got that cheat sheet that says, I know the five ways I deliver value. I get to pick the two that matter for this customer. And I already know the calculations because they're straightforward. I can walk in and start to teach of that conversation and really win. That's all. This is great. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> it is. It, it really is. I think, you know, I tell people it's like flying an airplane. You think it's difficult, but if you're actually sitting in a cockpit, it's really not that difficult to fly an airplane once somebody shoots you to do it. That's great. Well, Ian, tell us about your offerings. What do you have? What do you do? What would you like our listeners to know about you? And then we'll put any of your information. We'll put the links to where they can reach you on the show notes. Everybody listening, just go to the show notes where you hear this podcast and you can connect with Ian directly. So you can go to thevaluesale.com. There's a lot of great information there. Absolutely go there. My day-to-day job is nucleusresearch.com, where we do a lot of work for for vendors of technology, especially in in promoting value and showing value. And you can always email me. I'm really good about getting back to people who have questions. So if you get a question about IRR, TCO, whatever it is, I've probably got something for you, but I'm always, always willing to help. Just Ian at nucleusresearch.com. Reach out to me anytime. Happy to to reply and happy to get into a conversation with that. great. You can use it to win. Thus, thank you so much for being here, Ian. Great job. And I know I know we'll have you back on the show in the future. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today. Scott, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.